0: Yep, okay. Uh, Verse 10 of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the idea is that when we begin to live this way. When we become, when, when, we, when we acknowledge our spiritual poverty and we mourn the, 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 the brokenness that exists within us and in the world, and when we choose to respond to the brokenness that's in us and in the world through meekness and gentleness and not through force, And when we uh, become a people who are motivated by our desire to see justice satisfied in God's way, the restorative uh, justice that that God desires, and when we become a people who recognize that justice comes by mercy, And we become single minded about who about in in our pursuit of God and all that he has. And we're peacemakers. We uh, when we when we have those things in us, we are we are reflecting the character and nature of Jesus. And Jesus says, guess what, guys, they're going to kill me. And if you look like me, they're going to want to kill you, too. Because the system of this world only has one way of dealing with those that stand against it. We need to understand that the system of this world, the system that the kingdom of heaven is dead set against, it has one ability, it has one weapon, and that is violence. Which is one of the reasons it's so important that we as Christians... Never take up that particular weapon, because that one belongs to the world and the world only. It's the One Ring. You can't wield it without destroying yourself. You got to understand. It's it. The violence and retributive anger and and wrath are not the tools of God, and they're not the tools of the kingdom. Now we could have a long theological discussion about whether or not God is. Uh, and maybe that's what we should do. You know, that, I think that's that might be a really good discussion to have. Is God violent and retributive? <laughs> Those are some shark-filled theological waters. But I think it might be fun to go there. But anyway, because the answer unequivocally is no, <laughs> no, he's not. So let's keep moving. Anyway, I'm just going to throw that gigantic theological thing out there, and then just move along. And and you may not even be like connected with what a big splash that would actually make, unless you think about it for three minutes. And then and then you're going to be like, whoa, 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 wait, just a minute, uh, because most of you believe in a God who is angry, violent, and retributive. Most of you do. Uh, he's not. Um, and I'm just going to leave it there for a minute. So the world comes at the, I will, if you want to, we'll go back there. I promise. Cause this is a really, yeah, if you want to, we'll go back there. But right now let's just, can, let's stay here with blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Okay. So Jesus is saying, listen, when the world system, hates what you're doing and hates who you are, you're in the right spot. Because everyone that has stood and manifested the king of heaven into this world's realm has been fought against by the system of this world. Everyone who has ever done that, whether they be prophets of old or whether it be Jesus himself, everyone that has stood and manifested the character, the integrity, the value system, and the power of the kingdom of heaven into the earth, the earth always goes, Excuse me, what? I don't think so. And the world only has one way of dealing with a, with someone that owes it nothing. This is This is the... <laughs> This is the important thing. You see, if you owe something to the world system, then they'll just take it away and that's going to end you. Okay? But if you owe the world system nothing, they have the only answer they have is to kill you. They have to end you. But the problem is when you end someone who you have no authority to end, you have just caused much bigger problems for yourself. Okay? When you, I, I love this, let's take the picture of uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Okay? Fantastic book. Fantastic book. Here we have Edmund. Participator in the world system owes something to the world system. Because he's a traitor, what he owes is his own life. And the witch, who is the queen of death, says, because he has behaved, participated in my system, because he has stepped into my realm and cooperated with me, and put his trust in me, I own him and I get to kill him. That's my right. And check this out Aslan sa- does not argue with her. Does he? No. Yep, that's your right. You're absolutely correct. Let's talk. They come together. They have a discussion. Aslan, knowing exactly who she is, <laughs> offers himself as a replacement for Edmund. Now see, here's the thing. Aslan knows the law behind the law. Aslan knows the reality under the reality, which is she has a right to kill Edmund, but she has no right to kill Aslan. He's never participated in her system. He's never been a part... he, He is not owned by her. And so he tricks her into giving up her birthright and killing him instead. And when she does... The universe flips inside out. Because she hasn't just violated the law, she violated the law that's under the law. The very law upon which the law it's, that she was so excited about was built. See, there was the deep magic, but then there was the deeper magic. That's the way that C.S. Lewis refers to it. The deep magic, but then the deeper magic. Because the deep magic she's referring to that's she was absolutely right but she didn't understand that that law that rule was built upon the very nature of the one who created everything and what she did when she took aslan's life is she ruined her claim to any life ever after that and death lost its ability to claim anyone ever again Does this make sense? You see, she had the right to kill Edmund. She never had the right to kill Aslan. And when she did kill Aslan, in her greed, in her overreaching of power, you see, the world system isn't bad because God doesn't like it. It's bad because it doesn't work. It's bad because it's foolish. It's bad because it's self-destructive. It's bad because it's circular and it has no real power. And when God steps into the world system and lets it have all of its wrath and all of it, just go ahead, do everything you're going to do. And when it's all over with, God's still God, but the world system has no power left. Okay? This is what happened. Jesus came Jesus did not participate in the world system. But the world system said, but he offered himself as a substitute for us. And the world system said, I'll take it. Killed him who it who had, had no right to kill. And in doing so, ended its own authority. Because the world system will always overreach itself because power for the sake of power is no power at all. Are you following? And Jesus knew this, so he put himself on the stone table, knowing that in ending him by claiming that this is my right, she was giving up every right she ever had. Satan and the principalities and powers and authorities did the same thing when they ended the life of Jesus. They killed Jesus. We killed Jesus. We're a part. We participate in the world system. We we all, all of us together killed Jesus. Jesus tricked him. He did. He tricked them. He tricked the world system. Take me instead, and they're like, "Oh, we get the we get the big fish, the fish to fry, right?" And it's like, "Ha ha ha ha! We got him. <laughs> he was stupid enough to become a human, make himself killable. What a fool, right? We got him right where we want him, and they kill him. <coughs> ha ha! What? What just happened?" This death thing isn't working anymore. How many of you read Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs>
1: have
0: you read all the Harry Potter books? Yes. Okay? I, I really would love to have a conversation with J.K. Rowling because this whole thing that I just said to you is perfectly portrayed in the Potter books. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know. But if she is, she preaches the gospel pretty darn good. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't seen him all? Okay. Yeah, no, what? what she did... What? Okay, it's much clearer in the books yeah. than it is in the movies, but it is in the movies. Okay? Because here it is. Voldemort, in his blind reach for power, takes Harry's blood and brings it into himself to bring him back into full human form. Remember this? This happened in the fourth movie... Uh, The goblet of fire. At the end, he takes Harry's blood into himself, but in doing so, he takes Harry's mother's self sacrifice into himself as well. Okay, because it lives in Harry's in Harry's blood. Okay, so in doing so, he overreached his own power because power for power's sake. Destroys itself every time. That's what happens every single time. Power that is seeking just more power all the time is always going to overreach itself. Always. And that's what Voldemort did. And he took Harry's blood into himself because Harry was his only vulnerability. And and Voldemort was all about just ending his own vulnerability. That That was the only thing Voldemort ever wanted to do was end his own vulnerability. That's why he never loved anyone. That's why he created the Horcruxes in the first place. That's why he took Harry's blood into himself. Because any vulnerability was a... That was that was Voldemort's one rule for himself was I must not be vulnerable. I cannot be... I have to be impenetrable. I have to be un, unstoppable. And so he did it again, and he pulled Harry... that that sacrifice into himself. From that moment forward, Voldemort was defeated. And in fact, in the books, you see, when Harry tells Professor Dumbledore that he'd used Harry's blood, it says in the book, it says, there was this flash across Dumbledore's face of triumph and then back to Grimface. Because from that point forward, now Voldemort was never, ever going to be able to hurt Harry in any way, shape, or form. Because living inside of his own body was the protection that Harry's mother had given to him. He could hurt anybody else, but he couldn't hurt Harry from that point forward. Does this make sense? Are you all with me? Or have I gone too deep down the Harry Potter rabbit hole? Okay, so he could never hurt Harry after that. It was was impossible. Because it was his mother's self-sacrificial love that had protected Harry up until this point. And Voldemort took his mother, took Harry's mother's self-sacrificial love into his own body when he took Harry's blood into himself. Are you with me? Keep going. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is what happened. All right. He overreached himself. He did something he had no right to do. Once again, he took, he, he went and, and he did not understand the power of love. He went after his final vulnerability. The truth of his, you know, if he had just left Harry alone, it may have been fine. He may have won after all. But now, all the way, and so now, Dumbledore set it up so that at the end, I can't tell you if you haven't seen all the movies. Let's do it. Just close your, know. I wasn't happy to, to watch So... Have you seen Infinity War? Here? Yes. So Voldemort. <laughs> so Voldemort. <laughs> Set. I've seen it twice, actually. So
1: Voldemort's...
0: (laughs) I went and saw it by myself first, and then I took my wife and kids to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I just wanted to see it. I didn't think my wife would want to see it because she doesn't really like superhero movies. And so the night, I went and saw it on Friday by myself because I had movie pass, and I was like, I might as well go see it, right? So I went and saw it. And then the next day, my wife's like, hey, we have three, three free movie tickets. Do you want to go see Infinity War? And I said, well, you know I saw it yesterday. She's like, yeah, but the kids want to see it. So I said, well, sure, I'll go. <laughs> did you notice more tickets? Yeah, of course I did. Yeah. I, I actually... My impression of the movie actually went down a notch after the second viewing, which is not a good sign. Hmm. Maybe I need to watch the second. I movie. thought it was good the first <laughs> time I watched it, and then the second time I watched it, I was like, you know, this is not exactly right. some some of the writing, some of the,
1: some of, like I just it
0: it felt a little shallow to me, and it, I feel like the whole premise is like. But anyway, and I feel like you know the 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 whole idea i think i think they went too far anyway let's just let's just keep moving let's keep going all right so back to harry potter so so okay so at the end of the at the end of the thing see dumbledore sets it up so that voldemort will kill the horcrux that lives in harry which that's the big reveal that nobody's been... You're rude! I'm so, I'm it doesn't okay. make sense. It's been years and years yes. and years. Anyway... It doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't
1: matter. matter. You've you had like two years after you Anyway... Wow. <laughs> the only
0: person that could kill it is 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 Voldemort himself, and so Dumbledore sets it up so that it'll be that way and so that Harry will be sacrificing himself when it <laughs> happens... <laughs> So we've set up another self-sacrificial system. Again, the power of self-sacrifice is being released for Harry as and then through Harry's self-sacrifice, he defeats Voldemort and protects all his friends by giving up himself. But because Harry's mother's blood is living inside of Voldemort, it he can't really kill Harry, is, is the whole idea. He he does, he tries, but he can't. And and it's be, and so. After that, Voldemort's trying to cast spells against Harry's friends, and they aren't working. Like, he tries to, like, do the silencing thing, and they won't, they can't be, they're still yelling and screaming, he's trying to do other things. And none of his spells are working against them. Why? Because he's, he has ended his own ability to harm them by overreaching his own power. He has ended his own power by reaching for even more power. And that's what power always, always does. And I think, and it was such a beautiful picture. Because do you see how power for power's sake is exactly the opposite of love? Because what is love? Love is, I seek no power. I seek, I seek to make your life better. I'm not pointing anything inward toward myself. I'm pointing myself outward. Does this make sense? And whenever we point everything inward towards ourself, then it's all built on us. It's all built on me. And that means it's only as strong as I am. It's only as powerful as I am. And I'm not that powerful and I'm not that strong, even if I think I am. Even if I'm Voldemort, I'm not that powerful. I'm not that strong. I can't bear the weight. But when my life is not about me, when my life is about someone else, when my life is about God, then all of that rests on God who is infinitely powerful, infinitely capable, infinitely worthy, which means that my hopes, my dreams, my aspirations, the things that I love, that I want, that I desire, when they're all about God, cannot come to a An end in themselves because it's not based on me. I serve a God who cannot, will not, has not ever, ever failed to love. Does this make sense? Are you following me? So here we have, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's going look when you, when you start manifesting the kingdom of heaven on the earth. And when your, when your power and value system aligns with heaven, aligns with mine, the whole earth is going to want to destroy you. And that's a really good thing. It's a really good thing. Because in destroying you, I think of Obi-Wan Kenobi, strike me down and I will become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. It's exactly true. The world system, in all of its fury and anger and whatever, destroyed Jesus and in doing so, saved the world from sin. <laughs> Satan, in all of his great, he accomplished the greatest sin of all time. He killed God and in doing so, saved everyone from Satan's power. <laughs> Wait. Wait. Wait, what happened? I don't understand. Why? Why? Did, what do you mean? You mean people are going to get out of, you know? It's, there's another Star Wars quote. You know, the tighter you, you close your fist, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. Right? It's the same idea. It's this idea that, that power for power's sake is a pointless exercise. And that's what the world system always, always does. Over and over and over again, it overreaches itself and ends its own ability. Do you guys know the story of the Napoleonic Wars? Anyone? Bueller? What
1: was the question?
0: Here we have Napoleon, arguably one of the greatest generals in the history of the world. I mean, he's right up there with Alexander the Great and some of these others. Okay. And he decides that his kingdom is not big enough. He's already conquered most of Europe, uh-huh. including Egypt. And That's he decides. So, where does he decide to go? Let's invade Russia. In exactly. The winter, Let's run to <laughs> Russia. <laughs> it always works. Always what works, happens? It's okay, it's it's that line from The Princess Bride. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The first is never get involved in a land war in Asia. But this only slightly less well known is this. Anyway. Anybody never get involved with a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> okay. So, um Princess Bride? Anybody? Okay. You should. It's great. Okay. So, I didn't I didn't say what happened then. I'm already feeling bad about the Harry Potter thing. Um Although I mean the books were written in like 1991, okay? Let's let's
1: One time in the you second
0: grade.
1: grade. No, because I felt so bad cuz one time in second grade I really wanted to read it and so I tried to and I went into the den in the library and read two words and I kind it felt bad. <laughs> no, I really couldn't. Okay.
0: You're right, you couldn't. But how long have you year, been able to? You-
1: yeah, you've yes. been you've been at your yeah. house for like two and a half years now.
0: You've <laughs>
1: been all the opportunities you to at least watch the movie.
0: I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> I've not been here. Some that. of the highest grossing movies of all time. I mean, anyway, it's, uh, it's it's like that T-shirt that has every spoiler on it in the history of the world. Have you seen that T-shirt? Like, I'm pretty sure it's like Vader is Luke's father. It's like it's yeah. like like. It has literally every spoiler you can possibly think of, like to, uh, to every movie, and like if you watch it, I mean, if you read the shirt, there's going to be some movie that's going to get spoiled for you. It's going to be like, oh, you've no. Six Spoiler alert. Yeah, that, one <laughs> that one's on mind. there too. That one did blow my mind. I was like, Six well, what? Yeah, it was I seen what's yet. really fun it was it was is so watching The good. Sixth Sense with someone that's never watched it before, <laughs> and watching that weird. just that dawn the on them. Dawn, you're like, yeah, right, right. <laughs> and they're like, oh my god. <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's such a great movie. Haley Joel Osment is amazing in that movie. He's weird looking now, but he was amazing. In yeah. He is because his face is exactly the same, but he has a grown up body. It's weird. It's very weird. Okay. Anyway, what, what was I talking about? I don't remember now. Napoleon. Napoleon. Yeah. Here's Napoleon. Dude, you've conquered Europe. Relax. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But No. I'm going to conquer Russia now. And he goes off into Russia without properly planning, and most of his people freeze to death. Because, because they went in Russia in winter. Stupid. And guess who else did it? Hitler. Same thing. Same thing. By the way, I checked on the numbers. 405,000 Americans died in World War II. It was 27 million Russians. Yep, more Russians
1: died in the Battle of Stalingrad alone than, like, all of it. Than America
0: yeah, the 27 million. Half a million Russians died in the Battle of Stalingrad. Okay, so who really won World War II? It wasn't us. Okay, let's get... <laughs> <It's>
1: insane. <laughs> I'm just saying this. Hey, we pulled, we pulled the world up by our bootstraps.
0: That's right. We did. <laughs> Woo! Wow. America! All right. Yeah. It's coming yeah. again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh,
0: yep. <The> Amen. Great <laughs> song. Great song. Yep. <laughs> My favorite song from that soundtrack is Kim Jong-un, you know. I'm so lonely. <laughs> uh, anyway, that is a terrible movie. Yeah, it's, so not, good. it's not the best. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. Why would I even mention it in the Bible study? But anyway, let's keep moving. Team America, uh, Team America. what's it? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. It's Team America. There's like some other tagline after Team America. Huh. M- Maybe other the people that make salt. America sure. saves uh, the effing <laughs> world again, or something like that. But anyway, um, it's so fun. Uh, again, I'm totally okay. So, the <laughs> twice now. Twi- okay, the the world has seen this happen multiple times, where where empire searching, you know, power just reaching for power ends itself. Both, you know, if Hitler had never attacked Russia, Russia probably never would have attacked Hitler. Because Russia was like, we don't really want to do this. Then Hitler was stupid and he attacked Russia. And we can all be glad that he did because otherwise he would have been fine. The Third Reich would have continued. They had enough military power to keep (coughs) going as long as they wanted to go, as long as they didn't overreach themselves. But that's what they did. They overreached themselves. Again, because that's what power does. And that's what power did when it it killed Jesus. (coughs) The same thing. It overreached itself and ended its ability to have power. And if you want to know where I'm getting this, there's multiple places. But my favorite one is in Colossians. Okay, I'm going to have to look it up, though. I think it's Colossians chapter 3, if I want to see. oh Let's see. Where's my Bible at? There it is. Colossians is a great book. I would recommend it to anyone. We actually did a study of it, what, two years ago? I think so. It might be chapter two. Here we go. Two thirteen and following. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Okay. That's this picture. They, they they nailed Jesus to the cross. By the way, they're the ones who were accusing you. Not God, but that's another situation that would just keep going. You don't have to explain it. You just
1: that, out.
0: It is the principalities and powers that accuse you, it's not God. I heard a phrase this morning that just I just had to literally just like, throw my phone down. I didn't do that, I was driving, but I, like, you know, metaphorically threw the phone. Said this. You know the cross that Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me? Okay? The cross doesn't come from God. Humans make crosses. God doesn't make crosses. The cross that Jesus has called you to pick up and carry is the cross of your brokenness, the cross of the of 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 your history and your pain and your sin, and the cross of the persecution that we're talking about in this in this verse, that the world system will persecute you. That's the cross Jesus told you to pick up. Jesus wasn't handing out crosses. Jesus wasn't. So this whole thing was like, it's just my cross to bear. No. No, 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 no. Because that cross didn't come from God. Hear this. God's not handing out crosses for us to bear. God's not loading us up with burdens for us to carry. It is the world and sin that have loaded you up with burdens. And it is the world who will persecute you if you start following Jesus. That's the cross he was talking about. Because who killed Jesus? think carefully who killed Jesus let me be even more pointed did god the father kill jesus did god the father kill jesus no no he did not. No, he did not kill Jesus. But a lot of us kind of think he did.
1: <laughs> it's because uh, our world system says so you let something happen. It's your fault. So you mean that when it says God gave his one and only son, you, that it doesn't mean he gave him to death? Well,
0: no, you didn't sure I do mean that. He <laughs> means that. I do mean that. He didn't give him to death. We (laughs) killed Jesus. God the Father didn't kill Jesus. (laughs) There are a lot of Christians that will tell you, a lot of theologians that would tell you that God killed Jesus. I know. But that wouldn't make any sense. I'm telling you. (laughs) There's a lot of theologians that would tell you that God killed Jesus. Why? Because he was mad at you. What? Yeah. Isn't that the way you've heard it preached all your life? God was mad at you because you're a sinner and God was gonna kill you, but Jesus stepped in the way. Right? Haven't you heard that your whole life?
1: Haven't you heard
0: that your whole life? So who's the killer in that situation? God. Exactly.
1: That doesn't work well with the whole like deeper magic thing you're talking about. You're absolutely
0: right. You wanna know why? Because it's not true. <laughs> God did not kill Jesus. You did. I did. The world did. The world system killed Jesus. God didn't kill Jesus. We killed Jesus. Anybody disagree with me? You're allowed. Come on, throw it out there. I want to talk to you about it. I believed for quite a while that God killed Jesus. I did. I believed it for a long time. Let me ask you, what is the difference? This is an NT. Wright quote: "Is it for God so loved the world that He gave his only son, that whosoever? or is it so is it God so hated the world that he killed his only son?" Don't we preach that? (laughs) Okay, I'm going to say a sentence. You ready? This is going to be fun. Jesus was not punished... For your sin. (laughs) (laughs) Did Jesus die for your sin? Yes. Was Jesus punished for your sin? Are they the same thing? No. Did Jesus die for your sin? Yes. Was Jesus punished for your sin? No. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And if you have Bible to argue with me, then pull Bible to argue with me. But if you're just going to tell me what your preacher told you, don't talk to me.
1: It would
0: make sense if you go back to your Harry Potter theory. Exactly. It makes perfect sense. (laughs) The idea... Okay, let's... I'll come at it from another direction. We would say... we. Yeah? Doesn't Isaiah 53, 5 call it a punishment, though? Does it? The punishment... (laughs) But he pierced our transgressions, <laughs> crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Mm-hmm. The punishment that brought us peace. Does that say he was punished for your sin? No.
1: No.
0: Read what it says again. But
1: he was pierced our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Yeah. And by
0: his will. Yeah, and I'm telling you right now, you've heard 20 sermons that said that Jesus took your punishment, right? In one sense, maybe. There is a way in which I can make that sentence work that agrees with the New Testament, okay? But not the way that we usually think about it. It isn't that you had punishment coming to you, and Jesus came along and said, Oh, punish me instead. Because how would that be fair at all? How does that make any sense? Okay, I want you to go, uh, I want you to think about, (laughs) think about the parable of the prodigal son. What does the prodigal son do? Let's start off. I want my money. money. Bye, dad. I'm going to go live a horrible life, blah, blah, blah. And then he comes back, right? The only way that that parable works in this other mindset, this Jesus being punished for my sin kind of a thing, is if, G- is if the father said, son, I'm so glad you're home. Oh, wait a minute. And goes, runs off and beats the tar out of the other brother. Just <laughs> kills him and then comes back and goes, because your older brother died, now I can accept you back. Is that what happens? Is that what happens? No. No. What happens? Right. Welcome home, son. I thought you were dead. You're not dead. You're alive. I'm excited. Here's a ring. Here's some stuff. Let's have a party. Go invite your older brother to the party, and he's grumpy because whatever, but come on. We want you to be a part of the party that's how the story goes is there any is, is the picture the other picture of, of God of the father like just you know beating the living daylights out of someone else in the son's place is that anywhere in that story no it's not it's not there Think of the lost coin. She looks everywhere for the lost coin. She finally fi- finds it. They have a party, etc. Yay! Was there ever a she would have to go to the bank and get a loan so that she can pay for the lost coin that she lost? No. Okay. There's. Think of all of Jesus' parables. Is there a picture of someone being you know, paying the price that you did not pay? Think about the king. Who forgave the guy all of his debt? Did the king then go and 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 attack someone who was not indebted to him, so that he could steal the money that he had borrowed that he had forgiven the debt for someone else? Because that's what you're saying. That's what we have said. That's what I would have said many for a long time. That that's how forgiveness works. That God's going to take the price of your forgiveness out of Jesus' hide. That's not what the New Testament says. What I'm teaching you right now is heresy according to lots of people. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. It's, In fact, there's a whole lot of the Assemblies of God that would have a real problem with what I'm telling you right now. Just gonna be honest with you. There are, because they believe in one interpretation of what is called the penal substitutionary atonement theory. Anybody heard of that? Penal substitutionary atonement. What? Wait, what?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Penal substitutionary atonement. That means there was a penalty. Penal substitutionary placed on Jesus. Atonement means that you're that you're okay has nothing to do with penises, so stop. I already hear what's coming on in your brain. Give me a break. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, No one was thinking about that at all. Whatever. (laughs) It's still what it's called. It's not my fault I didn't create those words. Not penile. P-N-A-L. That's what it's called. Most of the assemblies of God would, would say they agree with it, but the truth is they don't actually agree with it. Because the minute you say something like "God so hated the world that he killed his only son," they would say, "No, that's not true." The Problem is, most of us most of us have not thought through our soteriology very far. We've taken soteriology is how you're saved. That's what it, it's the theory of salvation. And most of us have not spent very much time really grappling with exactly what happened with Jesus on the cross. And there were a lot of things that happened with Jesus on the cross. A ton. The Bible mentions multiple things that Jesus accomplished on the cross. But the big one is that Jesus took the sin of the entire world into himself and forgave it. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was not just talking about the guys that nailed him to the cross. Do you think God the Father answered that prayer with a yes? Do you think God the Father said, Well, Jesus, I would forgive them, but I have to have the price paid first. So just bleed a little longer. (laughs) I know, that was mean, wasn't it? (laughs) I want to invite you. This is now what we're going to talk about this time and next time. And I want to invite you over these next few weeks, because we're not meeting next week. I don't know what's going on with you guys, but the week after that, we'll be together or whatever. I don't know when it is. Maybe Maybe it's the week after that. We'll be together. I want you to spend some time thinking about soteriology, okay? The, the theory of salvation. Did Jesus die for our sins? Yes. The Bible's very clear on that. But what does that mean? What does that mean? You going to be okay? Yes, yeah, <laughs> What does it mean that Jesus died for our sins? And I want you to start looking at what the Bible actually says about Jesus' death on the cross. And I just read to you from Colossians chapter 2. That's a very important verse because I want you to read. Okay, are you ready for this? This is really good. Here we go. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ... For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. What did he nail to the cross? I don't like that word. The record of the charges against us. The accusation that was leveled against you was nailed to the cross. Okay? This isn't financial language, this is legal language. You had charges filed against you, and the charges were nailed to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and shamed them publicly, by victory over them on the cross. Now when you read all of this, it says he forgave you your sin. That's number one. Number two, the charges that were leveled against you, he nailed to the cross. And in nailing them to the cross, he had victory over the ones who were accusing you. Does it say... In that verse, that Jesus' death on the cross paid the price you should have paid. It doesn't say he served my time, it doesn't say he paid my price, it says my charges were nailed to the cross. Doesn't this verse fit more with what I talked about a minute ago, the deeper magic idea? Doesn't this verse fit more with a, oh, you no longer have any right to accuse them because you killed Jesus. And if you killed Jesus, you don't get, you don't have the right to accuse anyone of anything. You killed a completely guiltless human being who you had no authority to kill. Therefore, you no longer have right to prosecute anyone. Doesn't this verse fit more along those lines than it does along the lines of Jesus served all your prison sentences? We've had to bend logic out of all proportion by saying Jesus went to hell, which he did, by the way, but not to serve our time. I mean, you've heard that before. Jesus actually went to hell so that you didn't have to. I have preached that. God forgive me. Jesus went to hell so you didn't have to. Eh. Jesus preached to hell so he could preach to the people that were there. Which is a whole other ball of wax. What? But the Bible says it. I didn't make that up. He preached to the souls that were in that were in Hades. I, that's just real. I don't know what you're going to do with that with your some of your you know. Theological stances. I don't know what you're gonna do with that. Thank
1: you, maybe not not so so bad about
0: evangelizing in an awkward spot. <laughs> 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 That's really Okay, you're yeah. Boy, I don't really know how Jesus was evangelizing in hell. Well sh- alright. <laughs> <laughs> Suppose I can evangelize here if Jesus was evangelizing in hell. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, no, so would you be teaching the mini masters about evangelizing? I was kind of thinking, like, there's going to be awkward places
0: where you evangelize. So, hell would be a pretty awkward place. Would Jesus be preaching to them if there was no hope for them to come out of there? Oh,
1: damn. Okay.
0: I know, I know, yeah. it's all so good, right. Okay. But it's it's a verse in the Bible. I can't do anything about it. What does it mean if it doesn't mean that?
1: So are we damned to hell or like maybe not? <laughs> that's, that's what's going on. Or
0: not. I do not agree with anyone that says that no one goes to hell because obviously they the people do. My own, my question as I read verses like that that says that Jesus preached to the souls that were in my question is, is death the final, does death close the door to your ability to make a choice? That's my question. And I'm telling you this. The Bible doesn't say. Let me just be honest with you.
1: So are you, are you wondering if Jesus might do that again? Or
0: maybe he still is. What?
1: Oh, that's a really interesting
0: theory. Is hell inside of time or outside of time? Uh, Is Jesus inside of time or outside of time? Outside of time. So outside. if Jesus was somewhere at any time, maybe he's there all the time. Oh my God. Are yeah. you watching Interstellar? Right now. I love that movie. <laughs> I love that movie. I'm not making a statement. I'm just asking you to think. That's all I'm doing. I'm not making a theological statement. I'm asking you to think. And here's the thing. Maybe we should, let me back up one step. If any of you are feeling at all, like, threatened by this conversation right now, like, you're scaring me, Pastor Josh, what are you doing? Okay? I want I want you to, to, to listen for just a second to me. Okay? A lot of us have a definition of faith. It says that doubt is a sin, that we're not allowed to question, that we're not allowed to be honest with God about the way that we feel. A lot of us have a definition of faith that says, if I'm not certain that something is true, then I can't receive that thing. Okay? Are you, does that make sense? Like? because we talk about our salvation by faith and whatever, and some people have said that that means that I have to be certain of this set of doctrines, and if I'm certain of this set of doctrines, then I'm safe. Okay? But let me say this to you. the, The person you are to have faith in is God, not whatever set of teachings someone gave you. The person you are to have faith in is God, it's like, Lord, I don't know how you're going to work all this out, but I trust you. Okay, the flavor of Christianity that we all adhere to is extremely new. Extraordinarily new. It's less than 500 years old. <laughs> And I know that's making you go, that's not new. Yes, it is, because we have 2,000 years of Christian history. So the people that lived fifteen hundred, the 1,500 years before that did not believe the way that you believed. Were they saved or not? And I would say, yes. Why? Because their trust was in Jesus. Our faith is in God. It's in Jesus. It's not in our interpretation of Scripture. So be, be willing to let your interpretation of Scripture be sifted. Be willing to let your theology be sifted by the Bible, not by a teacher, not by, you know, some guy with a bright idea. No, take it back to scripture. And let the Bible mess with your head. Let the Bible at you know present questions to you. And put your trust in the one who wrote that book in the first place, that they knew what they were doing, that God was, that this is the inspired word of God, that we can trust what God's Word says. But that maybe an interpretation of the Bible that you've heard before now might not be exactly right. Okay, my theology has been in the blender for 10 years I'm not kidding and the blender is God's Word my theology are is is my theology are my ideas about God and about 10 years ago the Lord said guess what all your ideas about God all your ideas about me are... Are, are not how I am. They're not who I am. There's some truth in there, yes. But there's also a lot of non-truth in there. And what I want you to do is begin to study the Bible extremely deeply and be, and ask difficult questions. And don't let anything, anything that you currently believe, let don't let any of it stand until it's gone through the blender of God's Word and come out on the other side. And that was very hard for me to do because I'm a PK. And I'd gone through Bible school already. And I had some very, I was right. No, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. And I'm still wrong. I'm still wrong. I'm never going to be completely right until I'm face to face with God. And then I'm going to go, oh, oh, that's how it is. I get it now. We're going to look at Jesus and be like <laughs> It's so simple. How did I miss that? But until then, we're we're wrong. Little pieces of our of the way we think about God are colored by the lens that we look at God through, they're colored by our our tiny our our little finite little brains that can't possibly understand God's, you know, uh, infinity. <laughs> God is infinite. And so any picture we have of him is only going to be partial. But there are things that we can know. And one of those things is that Jesus is the perfect picture of God. Jesus is our mile marker. And when we look at Jesus, and we look at who he is, and we look at what he did, and we look at what he preached, he is our interpretive key to everything. And this, uh, these Beatitudes, this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus saying to a group of people who knew they were right about God, hey, you're wrong, let me change the way you see God, and I'm giving you basically a new Ten Commandments. That's what the Beatitudes are. This isn't making sense to everyone. And Jesus is going to do that to you over and over and over again as long as you follow him. He's going to say, hey, this perception of me is a little off. And he's going to just tweak it just a little bit. Or he's going to say, this perception of me is way off. And he's going to completely change it. And the way I'm thinking about the cross is very different than the way I used to think about the cross. Even as soon as two years ago. And the more I dig into scripture and the more I read about the cross, the more I realize the narrative that I had about the cross is not necessarily what the Bible has to say about the cross. Did God kill Jesus? That's a huge question. My answer is no, he did not. But that is not what my answer would have been even two years ago. Am I allowed as your teacher to be in the sifting process, or is that not cool? I, I'm asked to come and teach a Bible study, and yet I'm in a the theological sifting process where all of my ideas about God aren't fully formed yet. I've got some ideas about God that are that have some pretty good formation. But I may find out in a couple of years that I was completely wrong. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, okay. Anybody have any questions?
1: Mm-hmm. just does like the work with guys like maybe we should be real real careful about like what kind of what kind what kind of songs we're doing do you know how
0: many songs I've had to be like I can't do that one anymore
1: like just like particularly and you're like you think about like if you're talking like Easter season like that's a touchy subject like what do you people that have super sound stuff out there but like that's that's a touchy subject
0: it's tough it's tough
1: Cause I feel like, cause that, that thought process you're thinking through right now of like, just of like, God not like God getting our charges dropped rather than taking our punishment.
0: It's more than that. It's more than getting our charges dropped. It's like Jesus came in and blew up the whole system of law. He fired all the judges. He fired all the cops.
1: Yeah, so that makes me think about like all these, even like hymns that are like widely accepted, but like, yep, my, if they've
0: been written in the last 500 years, which, guy, by the way, this penal substitutionary atonement idea comes from Calvin, our favorite guy to hate.
1: Bit of a negative Nancy. <laughs>
0: okay, he's our favorite guy to hate. Calvin was a lawyer. And so we always thought about sin in legal terms. But that's not the only metaphor the Bible uses for sin. The Bible uses multiple metaphors for sin. And none of them are the actuality of sin. Sin is not a broken legal, it's, it's not a broken law, it's not a financial debt, and it's not a, a sickness. But the Bible uses all three of those metaphors to talk about sin. Sin is something else, and these metaphors just point towards it. Does that make sense? Okay, anytime we use a metaphor, we have the danger of the metaphor taking over the meaning. When we're, we're saying, it's like this, right? It's like this. And we say, well, if it's like that, it's like, okay, okay. I'm trying to think of well-known metaphors. Give me a well-known metaphor. Or just, in general. just any a, a metaphor people use for... Just a well-known metaphor. Come on, somebody... Get, the only one I can think of I don't want to use. What's the killing thing
1: between your teeth? The one from Fall Stars the first one I thought of.
0: What's that? That
1: was just like irony, wasn't it? I mean, no, I I mean, it was a metaphor, book. but not a lot of people really know about that one.
0: No, give me a well-known metaphor. I'm so hungry
1: if you so I could
0: eat a horse. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. That's assembly. a good one. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, all right? If, if I take that <laughs> literally, okay, it's one thing it's like, wow, that you must be pretty hungry, right? Okay, that's what she means. But if I, if I, if I take it just one tick further and she eats horse meat. And, right? Do you see how, let, with, if that metaphor takes over the meaning, all of a sudden we lose what she's actually trying to say? And we've done that over and over again with the Bible, when it talks about, we've done that with, oh my goodness. Everything the Bible says about God is a metaphor. It's true, though. God's come. God is in, truly indescribable. I'm not saying that there isn't truth in every single one of those metaphors. Of course it is. But we can't let the metaphor take over the truth. And we're okay with most of the Bible's metaphors about God. For instance, when we talk about the hand of God. We all know that God's not really, there's not really a physical hand out there in space somewhere that's going to come down. Right? We all know that. Are you with me? says yes. says no. All right. You realize that God doesn't have an actual hand. Do you realize that? Let me help you out. God does not have an actual hand. We also talk about, there's several places in the Bible where it says God forgets. Or he remembers. Does God forget? No. Does God remember? It's not like that. God's brain does not work like our brain. It's not like God's walking along. All of a sudden, oh, like there's this one scene, you know, in 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 the Exodus, which says, "And God remembered Moses and the children of Israel," as if it was like God was like busy, God's busy spinning galaxies, and it's like, oh wait a minute, I forgot about Moses. Like like, you know, it's it's like I am burning the cookies. You know, it's not okay. That's not it. We use that picture because. The activity of God shifts in that moment and it's, and it's like when a human remembers something. But God never forgot anyone. God was waiting for perfect timing and so that's what happened. But there are people that will tell you, the Bible says God forgets. No, he doesn't. Stop doing that. The Bible also says that God sleeps. Was he really sleeping? No, because another passage says he does not slumber or sleep. So which is it? No, that's really confusing. But there are other metaphors like this one God is angry Do you recognize that that's also a metaphor? Do you think we can take human emotions and put them on God and have it actually work? <laughs> <laughs> you never thought of God as angry as a metaphor, did you? No. But You better believe it is. But doesn't
1: the Bible talk about like a righteous anger, though? Huh.
0: The Bible talks about the anger of God. I'm not saying that it doesn't, but what I am saying is whenever it talks about anything about God, it's always anything about God that comes from the human perspective. God's God's anger, God's love, God's joy, God's whatever. What you are doing is taking a human reality and you are superimposing it on God. The Bible uh, uh, theologians call it anthropomorphizing God. We are making God like us. Okay? And that's okay to a point. But there but we can't we cannot take that too far. Okay? God has something in him that is something like the the human emotion of anger, but is it exactly the human emotion of anger? No, it's not, but we love to kind of that's one of our favorite ones. How does this thing inside of God work? It works much differently than human anger works.
1: Yeah, it's like what really up
0: That's what I'm trying to say. It's a good thing
1: that all of our doctrines rooted in metaphor.
0: Absolutely, it is. I mean,
1: like it, it'll have to be, but like the, the fact that like there's multiple metaphors for something like. Like you said about sin yeah and we form our doctrine over right.
0: the problem is we need to hold all of our doctrines like this and say there's some there is reality there, there is truth there, but God is infinite and so we can't build a box around it. God the the Bible is really clear by the way, I've had I've had people say to me, I love this. When I say God is love, people will say, yes, but he's also wrath. And I want to go, whoa. (laughs) Because guess what? The Bible does say God is love. The Bible does not say God is wrath. Doesn't say it. Go find it. Go find me the scripture. Doesn't say it. And every single time, plus there's this, I mean, good Lord. Do you know that every word that is used for the judgment of God is always, it's not punitive. In other words, it's not a punishment kind of a judgment. It is a restorative judgment. For instance, when you go to the doctor, you have a set of symptoms. The doctor looks at you and he judges you to have this sickness. That kind of judgment is restorative. Why? Because he's looking at you saying, These are the things that are wrong, and this is how we're going to fix it. He's not looking at you going, Well, you're just broke. <laughs> you're really sick. <laughs> Have a great day. Your life must suck. <laughs> is that, but isn't that what we do? Isn't that how we treat God's judgment of us? Well, you are fundamentally broken, my friend. You deserve the fires of hell. God's judgment is always, 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 always restorative. Waiting for a couple of very obvious questions. When I say something like that, God's judgment is always restorative. Think, people. Think about God's judgment. Where there are things in the Bible that just that statement right there, God's judgment is always restorative. There is a bunch of stuff in the Bible that would have that you should be saying, ah, oh, what about? Come on! I want to hear it. What does it mean? Okay. When he says that you will
1: answer for
0: every word. Yeah. Uh huh. What does that mean? Actually, it says every idle word. First of all, it's not every word; it's every idle word. Okay. No, it's okay. I'm just saying let's be re- let's be real precise, especially when we're putting words in the mouth of Jesus. And what he says is every idle word, and and if you look at the context of that particular statement. What he's talking about are words that don't agree with faith. Okay, so he's not even talking about like bad stuff that you said, although bad stuff that you said probably doesn't agree with faith. But what he's specifically referring to are things that you speak that are not in agreement with God. Okay, that don't stand in cooperation with what God's doing at any particular moment. And what does he mean when he says we're going to answer for them? Jesus, we will see them and we will know in that moment, man, what I said was really wrong. But does that mean that he's going to punish you for them?
1: since I've grown up whenever I've heard that I just feel like God's sitting you down and tearing me like this like why did you
0: say that? Why did you say that? Yeah. That's not going to happen. That's
1: what I thought because it's never sat
0: well with me. No. That's silly. Why would God spend his time to go through every word you ever spoke? No. It's about it's about here are the ideas you had about me that were incorrect. And he's going to correct them. And we will gladly repent. You see that we're we're afraid of repentance. Repentance is a scary word for us because we think, oh, "I wouldn't want to." Are you kidding me? Have you ever been to the chiropractor? I've seen my mom. Have you ever been to the chiropractor, anybody? Yeah, yes. How does it feel when he puts you back in alignment? Oh, it's the best. Oh, it's like oh, thank God. Oh, I didn't even realize. Oh man, I didn't even realize I was in this much pain, and now I'm put back into alignment, and I feel great. That's what repentance is. Repentance is the Lord saying, hey, that's not who you are. And that's not who I am. So let me put you back into alignment. That's what restorative judgment looks like. And if we understand the heart of the judge and the fact that his judgment is restorative, we're not going to be afraid of judgment. We are going to run to him going, judge me, judge me, judge me, please. Judge me, Jesus oh please judge me judge all of me judge me to the core judge me all the way down i don't want anything anything left in me that separates me from you from the life that you created me to live from the person you created me to be oh judge me lord we aren't going to be like god's judgment is scary God, stop that who is he this is what I'm talking about when I say faith is about trusting God. That's what it means. We're convinced the word faith in the in the Greek is pistis. It means to be convinced. It means to to say, I know who he is. So I'm not afraid. I a
1: question. Yeah. Okay, so. So wait,
0: his hand restored to Yeah, I I I could see where this like has could spin spinning restorative,
1: but like, what about like like guy just like wiping people out and like thank you, like okay like hey like go away guys I'm I'm just gonna melt this city like
0: yeah Sodom and Gomorrah right yes the flood flood. hello right okay how is that restorative justice right
1: I I, I get good came from it and I get wet sure but like it. How many? Nature is destructive.
0: Yeah, yeah. First of all, if you go look at the actual text, there is no place where, where, for instance, the flood. Did God cause the flood, or did God allow it? I'm serious. Go go do some real reading. Same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. Same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. He and he and Abraham had it had a same thing with the firstborn of Egypt. What do you say? What do you say? Who who actually killed the firstborn of Egypt? Was it God? Think about it. The angel of death. Okay? The angel of death. The Hebrew people believed that where God was, the forces of death, destruction, and decay were being held at bay by his life and his presence. And when God would withdraw his life and his presence, chaos, death, and decay would come rushing in. So when he says, the angel of death is going to come, it's not because God sent him. It's because God withdrew his halting word over that person. You will not kill this person. I will pull back my presence and I will allow you to kill this person. Yeah. Genesis 7.4. For in seven days,
1: I will, send, I
0: will send rain
1: on the earth for 40 days and nights. Sure. In uh, six, six, 6 to 7, well, uh, the Lord agreed that he made man of the earth and his harvest was full pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind from what I have created from the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Very much inferring that he caused
0: it. Sure. Did you read the whole thing?
1: Well, Men and animals and creatures
0: move on. Well, oh, I mean, keep going. Right, I that I have made them,
1: and then it just says, "But the Lord found favor in Noah, or, but Noah found sorry favor in the eyes of the Lord." huh. This is the account. Yeah. It says Noah was blameless, and then it just goes into Shem, Ham, and just, Yeah. What about? But what about storms? Where? <coughs> Like the passage he read about so like 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 just straight up stated that like God was sending the rain. What's up
0: with that? I don't know. Let's keep reading. The other part of it is I would really have to look at the original language.
1: I'm reading out of the ESV. I know it's yeah. It's not you know. It's as close as we can get without you know. probably,
0: probably yeah. Again, probably yeah. Um, but then Noah also preached for how many hundreds of years before the flood came. He's 600,
1: 600
0: years old. I think it was, I mean, yeah, he was 600 years old, but it took him 100 years to build the ark and the whole time he was preaching.
1: Are You're you saying that part of it was restored?
0: I'm saying they had an opportunity to repent. Like I said, I would have to look I would have to look at the original language. I was reading a book that uh, said that really, the more you look into it, the less it looks like God did it himself and the more it looks like God allowed it to happen. Either way, God bears responsibility. I'm not saying because he still allows it to come, regardless. but the question is, God's judgment is restorative. God's always looking for the reconnection of relationship. And then if you go look, by the way, at who some of the people are that Jesus was preaching to in hell, it actually says the souls that died during the flood. Sure. says that? Yeah. Not
1: that I don't like, not that I don't. No, just never I'll that. find like, it. Where, I, I'm just curious to where that's at so I can do it. Mm-hmm.
0: First Peter, chapter 4, okay. looking in the neighborhood of verse 6. Peter Four. This is this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way that God does. The end of all things, above all, keep I'm trying to find out where that is because there's a couple places where it talks about this.
1: Is that, that straight-up, like, okay, to those that are dead, or is that, like, also a spiritual level for, what, like, what's the context on that, of course? What do you mean? Okay, so the, like, you know how the Bible, like, in, like, Jesus refers to, like, someone being dead? And, like, it actually looks like, like, like no,
0: ones. because it specifically says, all right, here, let me find it, 318... Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God, for the time that that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, blah, 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 blah. Okay, but then after that he says... For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I don't see how you deal with that particular verse. There's some people that would limit it to the people that were in the flood, that Jesus only preached to them. There are people that do that, I think. My whole point with this whole, like, bunny trail is to shake you up. Is it working? Yes. yes. Good. Get deep down into this word. Get really good idea. Find out, you know, come to conclusions about who God is and then Test those conclusions by reading the word of God and going back and saying, is this really how God is? And I want you to take some of your most fundamental understandings of who God is, and I want you to put them in the blender of God's word. If they survive, they'll be ever st- even stronger than they were before. And if they die, they should have died because if they can't stand up to God's word, then they shouldn't be a part of your thought process. Did, yeah. Anybody else? We've got 20 minutes. I just want to open the floor to any question at all. Not, I mean, it doesn't have to be about what we've been talking about today, but just something maybe you've had in your head something you're thinking about You're just staring at me, man. What's going on in your brain? Trying to come up with a question. Can you for No. Let me let me tell you what's the, my, my primary shake-up right now is this whole understanding, this whole this question about the character and the nature of God. Okay. Because the New Testament makes it clear that Jesus is the full revelation, the best revelation, the ultimate revelation of the character and the nature of the Father. Jesus says it over and over again. The New Testament writers say it after Jesus. You know, the book of Colossians makes it absolutely certainty clear. He is the image of the invisible God. That Jesus, you know, the book of Hebrews says, from the beginning of time until now, we've heard from prophets and teachers and whatever, but in these last days we've been spoken to by the Son of God. He is greater than Moses. He's greater than, okay? So we understand all that to be true about Jesus, which means so what we have to do is look at who Jesus is and we have to say about everything else that the Bible says about Jesus that the Bible says about God the Father and we have to say all of this if it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not then I'm not reading it correctly does that make sense? If it doesn't look like Jesus, then I'm not reading it correctly. And that's going to mess with the way you read the Old Testament. And it's going to mess with the way that you think about God the Father. And it's really going to mess with the way you think about the cross and the way you think about But the way we think about God is the most important thing we think. It's the most important thought in our brains is the thoughts that we think about God. That that's it. And if Jesus is the perfect picture of God, and we can say if we can say that it's true about Jesus, then we can say that it's true about God the Father. Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And so I have been working backward from that statement. And I've been putting the weight of Jesus down on every thought that I've ever thought about God. And some of those thoughts are kind of unspoken. Some of those thoughts I haven't, I haven't, I didn't realize that I felt this way. But what's interesting is when I put the weight of Jesus down on one thought about God, how many other thoughts about God come sticking out that I didn't even realize I had and I have to be like, well, that's not like Jesus at all. What am I going to do with that thought? Where does that come from? I got to trace it back to where it came from. Half the time it didn't come from the Bible at all, but I think it did. And it's just some thought I had about God that was stuck back there in my brain. And I'm like, what the heck? Where did that thought come from? Well, it came from some encounter I had with a spiritual leader, or it came from some sermon I heard when I was 12 or it came from whatever, some, you know. And when I look at that really well, I'm like, that doesn't look like Jesus at all. And if it didn't come from the Bible, then good. I can just cut it off and throw it away. But if it did, if there's some Bible verse or some group of verses that make it seem like, oop, all right, I've got to figure out what to do with that. What cannot move is God is like Jesus. That can't move. That's, that's my plumb line. So how can I make a God... Who wipes out the entire human race? Does that sound like Jesus to you? Because it doesn't sound like Jesus to me. So what do I do with the flood? What do I do with it? know, there's a couple of ideas. Because I'm really in process with this idea. There's a couple of ideas that, that I'm working on right now, that I'm thinking through, that I'm praying through, that I'm reading through. One is this, that mankind had was on a trajectory to so destroy the earth that it would no longer be possible for people to live there. Therefore, God had to allow for this flood to take place. And there's many, many places where God says the same thing in two ways. He says both, I did it and I allowed it. Like here, and then the next sentence, he says, I allowed it. For instance, Nebuchadnezzar's attack on Jerusalem. Okay? God says, I'm sending Nebuchadnezzar to you to to wipe you out. Right? Right? And Nebuchadnezzar comes and wipes him out, but then later on, God says, God goes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, I allowed you to go and do this, but you went too far, so now I'm judging you for it. Now, whoa, 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 God, you said you did this. Well, yeah. Because he took his protective hand away, and Nebuchadnezzar was able to come in and do what he did. But Nebuchadnezzar went too far, farther than God wanted him to go, and so God now judges Nebuchadnezzar for that. Do you see how that's both? Both and? And how do we deal with that? What do we do? Thing is, the the Bible's just like, yeah, it's both and. The Bible does that all the time. The Bible's extremely annoying that way. What? Is it God choosing who's saved? Or is it us choosing to respond to God? Yes. What? Yes. Stop that! Yes. They both sit next to each other in the Bible, and we got to be like, what about free will? And God's going, I'm not worried about it. Yep, you have free will. For sure. But you already know what I'm going to choose. Yeah, I do. And so doesn't that mean that you could, couldn't you do something to change the way that I, or couldn't you have set it up so that I would pick the way? So so isn't it kind of like you made the choice for me? Kind of. So is it really free will? Yeah. But you just said it wasn't, but it is. And there's some time when we're going to have to wave the flag of mystery and be like, I don't get it! And God's like, that's because you're a puny brain, little guy. <laughs> and that's okay. That's when we stand before the mystery of God and go, you are God and I am not, and wow, I'm glad. because Because I, I trust you. That's where faith comes in. Faith comes in where understanding ceases. Faith faith comes in to say, I don't get you. I don't fully understand all of the things that are going on in you. There are things about you that don't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I trust you. That's faith. Faith is not saying, I've got everything about you figured out. That's not faith. That's not faith at all. You don't need faith if you know everything about God. It's a mathematical calculation if you know everything about God. You don't need faith at all. Faith is I'm convinced of his character and his goodwill towards me, and so I am not afraid. No matter what's going to come of this wrestle with you, I am going to love the outcome. Are you with me? Eleven minutes. Any other questions? <clears throat> the flood is almost not the worst thing that I have to wrestle with about. Almost, almost not. What's your second? Uh, the the children of Israel coming back into the land and, and the Bible saying that God's saying to them, kill everything. Kill the women, the children, the animals. Sorry. It's one thing when God who is holy, completely righteous and whatever does a thing that I'm like, that's rough, but you know what, it's you, so I'm good. You know what I mean? It's another when he's telling a person to do it. Does that make sense? Those those verses are mess have are messing with my head. Can I see Jesus saying to Peter, James, and John, go into that village and kill everyone in there, including the children and the moms and the and the animals and the little puppies and the rabbits and the I know I, I say children and that doesn't bo- bo- bother anybody, but I say puppies and everybody's like, hey. <laughs> The same thing that happens in movies. You know, people die, people die, everybody's like, woo! But then, but uh, you know, so you kill a dog, and I was like throwing popcorn at the screen. <laughs> I was watching
1: a movie with Vicky one time, and they went back in and they saved the ant, but the dog went back in too, because it was a tornado, and the house was collapsing, and they saved the ant, and I was like, okay, but Roof Roof, where's the dog?
0: <laughs> the dog was fine.
1: Though. Yeah, he was fine, I know. Was. I was so happy. <laughs>
0: That was Twister.
1: Yes,
0: yeah. Yeah. He's a little shaken up, she says. <laughs> uh, anyway. They saved the dog. It's okay. What I was referring to was the second Jurassic Park movie. Okay. Where you see the T-Rex and he's got... There was this dog barking. <laughs> yeah. And then you see the T-Rex and the dog has it just like swinging okay. from his mouth. And you're like, oh, he just ate Fido. <laughs> With the girl yeah. I was dating at the time sure. when we went, to, we went to see that movie.
1: The T-Rex, T-Rex like, was no. the town. Yeah, okay. and it at like ate
0: T-Rex was eating people left and right, and she had nothing to say about it. But when he ate the dog, she was like, I don't like this movie. I was like, yeah, this relationship isn't going to work out. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you care about dogs more than people. I'm out. Um, <laughs> why not? Wait, Who says dogs can't go to heaven? There's a
1: movie. It's called All Dogs Go, All dogs go to Heaven. <laughs> yes, that's an interesting movie. Um, <laughs>
0: they're animals. They're just God could just go and recreate your dog as if he had never been. I mean, and maybe he will. I mean, come on. Maybe some of your mansions in heaven have lots of doggy doors. You don't know. I mean. <laughs> I just he- heaven all of a sudden got so much better for a bunch of people in this room like oh yay! But if they pee on the tree of life, then oh, they get. C- I'm just kidding. kidding. <laughs> 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 they won't even have to. <laughs> uh, are the fire hydrants gold? That's my only question. Um, why would the heaven need fire hydrants? For the relaxed people. Okay. Did you ever see that movie, uh, Dog's Purpose? No, no. no. It was basically one dog's life. You want to put out Holy Ghost like, fire? So, no,
1: I. God God. Like, <laughs> yeah, my kids what? watched
0: it and they loved it, and I was like, I think that movie teaches reincarnation. I'm not sure well, I yeah, how yeah, I do it does. It, it
1: teaches <laughs> that because once a dog movie? dies,
0: it's but oh, so it's okay. Dog reincarnation <laughs> no, is fine, just, I mean, so, so long as it's not human reincarnation. I just
1: feel like <laughs> dog reincarnation doesn't. It just makes me mad. Like reincarnation, I don't believe in but like, don't tell me that this random dog that I don't
0: know is my old puppy because that's it's not her <laughs> <laughs> Right. Now wait a minute! It's not saying that every dog you've ever owned was actually the dog you owned before.
1: I know, I know, but uh, <laughs> my one of the kind.
0: Oh, uh, so said every dog owner ever. Um, oh, yes, praise the Lord! I'm not. I'm not going to praise the Lord for dogs. Uh, <laughs> You guys can. I'm I'm, I'm just going to withhold my praise on that yeah, particular thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe if a dog saved me from an avalanche or something, you know, brought me the barrel of brandy, you know, that thing, then I'm good. My dog
1: ate my
0: hair once. Okay. Um...
1: He was <laughs> a puppy, and he sat on my pillow, and he chewed
0: on my hair while
1: I slept. And never slept me again because
0: I was sick. My dog ate my homework. Um. <laughs> All right, so for next time,
1: for next time, I want to
0: give you a, a small amount of homework for next time. I want everybody to come with one question. Just one. I'm only asking you for one. want everybody come with one about anything, anything in the world. I don't care. From <laughs> from aliens to orgasms, I don't care anything. <laughs> no! Serious, I'm just putting it out there. Anything. I want. I, I'm I'm serious. I want. I'm, we don't have to record it if we don't. <laughs> If the church doesn't talk about sex, who's going to? Only people that have a very wrong view of sex. That's the truth. Okay. So I have. I am not ashamed. Of this beautiful th- gift that God's given us Natalie. in our sexuality. I'm not ashamed of it at all. Shy and quiet as the Bible is. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> it's not. It's <laughs> it's not, not at, at all. all. You ever read Song of Solomon? Wow.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it's steamy. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And not just Song of Solomon, but, but like... Okay. Like... Oh. The uh, the Ecclesiastes has quite a few passages that are, if you realize what you're reading, it's like, oh, geez, Solomon. <laughs> really? You know? That's like, <laughs> he did. If anybody knew about it. <laughs> And he had just as many concubines. More concubines than wives, I think, right? It was 800, 200. I thought it was more concubines than wives. I, I, I just read about him in First Kings. I should know this. So here's the question. Was God okay with it? Was God okay with Solomon's wives and concubines? Was God okay with polygamy? Abraham. More than one wife. Isaac. One wife. Jacob. More than one wife. Come on now. David, David, multiple wives. (laughs) The man after God's own heart, multiple wives. Was God okay with polygamy? If you're married to him, how is it adultery? Oh, brother. (laughs) Hold on. What does it say about I'm just putting it out That's there. So cool. Is, was, God, God, okay, with polygamy. I'm just putting it out there. Now, the New Testament comes along and says, and the New Testament comes along, and in the instructions for elders, it says husband of one wife. So in the New Testament context, polygamy was very frowned upon. Okay? But not in the Old Testament context. All of our heroes from the Old Testament are all all in multiple wives? Every single one of them. So explain to me what's going on there. How are they our heroes? But they still have. Mul- but they have multiple. Is God okay with polygamy? Somebody tell me, yes or no. Maybe
1: okay. He was. Not anymore. Or really? Maybe. God. Maybe. But, uh, really? <laughs> oh <my> God, <laughs> I'm We're the best
0: I'm best I, I want you thinking. God's always
1: the same. He never changes. Then, so Dang. If he was okay with it.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh, I love, I love this. I love this so much. You let me, all right, let's, let's step back. Let's step back one more step. Okay. Cause if we go there, do you know how many people like Abraham and David and these guys killed? I mean, these guys killed lots of folks. Okay. You read about these guys kills, these guys killed lots of folks and it wasn't always a clear cut, like, like. They're going to attack me so I'm going to kill them. Sometimes it was. But sometimes it was not. Was God okay with that? Thou shalt not kill. That was the commandment. But guess what happened a lot? A lot. I'm not kidding, a lot. Was God okay with it yes or no? Now, I'm going to start with I'm going to start with polygamy and then we can move we can move beyond that maybe next week or next time. Okay? Because we're out of time. If you read the stories about these men and women who were involved in this polygamous situation, did polygamy ever work out for anybody? I don't think no. I don't do no. Every single time someone took more than one wife, there were huge marital and family problems there was huge issues that went on every single time that a man married more than one woman there you would go ahead and look go ahead and look there was always one person was jealous of the other or one person was angry and people were killing each other people were i mean there was in david one of his sons raped one of his daughters okay this was solomon was the worst of the worst when it came to polygamy and it destroyed not only his life but his whole kingdom Okay. So take a good look. Was God okay with polygamy? No, no. And God's wisdom was perfectly proved out. God said one man, one woman for life. That's it. That's, that's how he set it up with Adam and Eve. That's what he wanted. He didn't want a bunch of wives. He never, ever wanted that. Did he shut people down and be like, you're not my chosen one anymore because of this cultural thing that exists in your world that you're being involved in so you're no longer my child. No, he didn't do that. And I want you to know this too. Do you know how sinful our culture is? And do you know how much of it you're connected to? Look at the clothes on your backs. Look at the shoes on your feet. Okay? Every single one of us are are wrapped up, surrounded by cultural sin. We are built we are connected with systems of cultural sin that are nearly impossible for us to avoid because we live in the culture that we live in. And God over and over again says, I love you. We will deal with this. <laughs> but there are going to be ramifications. Because sin almost always almost always the bad stuff that happens to us happens to us not because god causes it to happen to us but because god doesn't stop the natural progression of bad choice bad outcome which is the whole reason that he gave us the law in the first place it's for our protection We think of it as like God keeping a tally of all the stuff we did wrong. And God's going, I'm your dad. I want you to live healthy lives that are free from some of these complications. So I tell you to avoid this kind of behavior. It isn't that God's holding an anvil over our heads going, don't you screw up or I will drop this on you so hard. He's going, guys, hey, don't go that way because bad stuff is going to happen to you if you go that way. That's just a dangerous path and it costs a lot and so I don't want you to go that way. It is not about God who is like he's got some heavenly tally. This is, this is the picture that we have. We think about God. You know, we, we, we just said this a minute ago. God is love, right? We said that a minute ago. Okay, what does 1 Corinthians 13 say about love? Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. It keeps no record of... What? Wait a minute. It keeps no record of wrong. But don't we all think that God's keeping a record of our wrong? Don't we all think that God has some long list of all the sins that we... Of every idle word that we spoke? Don't we think that that's... Is God love or is he not? Is God love or is he not? So does God have a record of wrong for you? The answer is no. It is not about his list of all the stuff we did wrong. It's about he wants you to be everything he created you to be, to be fully free, to be fully in love with him and fully in love with the people that surround you and the things that get in the way of you being that he wants to remove from your life. It's not about some list of accusations that he builds up against you. Is God the accuser? Is God the accuser? No. Jesus is our advocate, the Bible says. He's not our accuser. He's the opposite of our accuser. He's arguing in our defense. Who is the accuser of the brethren? Exactly. And up until Jesus, Satan had every right to accuse us. But what happened at the cross? He carried out punishment upon a guiltless person, and in doing so, he revoked his own right to bring accusation against us. Are you with me? So if God's not accusing us, and Satan can't accuse us anymore, are we still accused? No. No. All right, we've got to be done. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for holy confusion. (laughs) I'm grateful for it. Lord, come break every box that we've put you in. Come destroy every every, uh, lie that we have believed. Destroy every half-truth we've believed. And put revelation of the Son of God in our hearts so that we will become like him, because we'll see him as he is. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen.